0: When it comes to reading the Bible, come on, you're in church. Let's do a little confessing here. How many of you have ever thought that? Have you ever thought, oh, jeez, I've got John Grisham's newest bestseller on the, sh- on, on the nightstand, and then I haven't read the Bible since, you know, Moses walked the earth. And today, if you've had that feel, I'm going to give you a compelling reason why John Grisham is great, but John the Gospeler is even greater, okay? Why you should consider putting John Grisham behind John Gospel. Welcome to part three of a series we're doing called Advice from the Most Influential Leader in History, not named Jesus, the Apostle Paul's final recorded words as he's in prison, in Rome, and he writes them to his one, his protege, Timothy, who is the pastor of a church in Ephesus, in what is today modern Turkey. I got to say something quickly, though. Um, This morning, we got some news that uh, two of our singers were knocked out by illness, whom we love very much. I'm not at liberty to to share their names just for privacy's sake, but they were knocked out this morning due to illness, and um, Abby Batson did the 930 service by herself, and then John Glista came in as a pinch hitter for this service to join them. I hope you can appreciate what a big deal that is. Would you give it up for those two? Because it is huge, 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 huge. Um, I know some of you had someone back out because of the flu, because they were supposed to give the presentation, and they called you uh, late for you to give the presentation. That pales in comparison to what abby and john just did and so we want to thank them they're in the green room right now so would you do it in such a way that they hear it okay so so do it again give them thanks and there you go it's for you guys for you guys if you're watching they're watching yeah so we're in chapter three and we get to these words or timothy said timothy he said, timothy don't be ashamed to testify about our lord Chapter 1, verse 8. And chapter 2, but but you gotta flee from the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness. It's about your character, not your competency so much. And then he gets to chapter 3. But mark this there'll be terrible times in these last days. Last days does not mean 2022, last days means the the messianic era. That was what was considered the last days. We've been living in the last days for 2,000 years. People will be lovers of themselves. Anybody see that? Yep. Lovers of money. Anybody see that? Yep. Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Woo! Aren't you glad you came to church today to hear all this good news, right? But what Paul's doing there is saying, Timothy, whoa, you are going to be living out the message of christ in a culture that is not sympathetic to your message it's going to be tough that's what he's saying here it's going to be tough because once human behavior gets into a groove with some of these things it doesn't want to change doesn't want to change And you're going to collide with the message of Christ with the people in Ephesus. For example, look at this, look at this, lovers of money. You know why that's in there? Because you know what the biggest, one of the biggest financial markets was in the ancient world? Ephesus. He's he's, he's saying, I know you live on Wall Street, Timothy, but you got to confront people who are lovers of money rather than lovers of God. (laughs) <laughs> Are you kidding me? And that's, that, and that's what he says. Now look at this, look at this. Those very people that he's confronting were religious people having a form of godliness but denying its power. In my view, this is the United States of America. We have just enough religion to be inoculated from its effects. And so we have a form of godliness. It's changing all the time. There is a new puritanism but deny its power to really transform have nothing to do with such people. You say, you know, don't waste your time. Whoa. Look what he says next. For example, they're the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women. You have to understand, it wasn't the United States in 2020, it was the first century where women, because of Christ, were now being able to literally get out of the house. Get out of the house. And what was happening is, is that was putting women in a very vulnerable position in a very male-dominated culture. And he says that's what they're doing, who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. So you're talking about people who are getting some input, but there wasn't this soul transformation taking place. And then he uses two names that had become kind of in lore in Jewish history, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers opposed the truth. Those were the Egyptian court musicians or court magicians who opposed Moses. Moses would turn his staff into a snake and they they wanted to do the same. And then finally Moses outdid them, right? Yes, he did. These are men of depraved mind who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected, but they will not get very far, just as Janice and Chambers didn't. As in the case of these men, their folly will be clear to everyone. So you have this movement, in that day it was called Gnosticism, where they took truths of Christianity and they made it blend with platonianism aristotelian philosophy and they blended it together to say for example with platonian philosophy which said that matter and spirit are totally separate, and so because matter is evil and unholy, it, it you, you can go one of two ways. You can't do anything that's fun, or most of them took this with Christ and said, well, but because of his grace, what you can do is do anything that's fun, and it doesn't touch your spirit because the body and the spirit are two different distinct things. It doesn't matter how you live as long as you believe the right thing. Just gave you a Gnosticism 101 course right there in about 45 seconds. But you can see how warped this was. And the reason that's really applicable to us is is America today is modern Gnosticism. You know, you can believe in Jesus. Oh, good, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And I have nine different kids from three different women that I'm currently sleeping with. And yet I've got the Jesus sticker on my car that says I'm a Christian. And you just see how Gnosticism, there's just nothing new. There's just nothing new. It just gets reinvented in in different ways. But you, Timothy, you're different. You're going to go against the flow of this. And you're you're going to impede that flow of religious depravity. How? Well, you know all about my teaching. You know my way of life. You know my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. What kinds of things I endured at Antioch, chapter 13 of Acts, where he was driven from the city. At Iconium, chapter 14 of Acts, where he had to get out of the city because he was about to be lynched. And uh, Lystra, Acts chapter 14, where he had to escape because he was being stoned. And then stoned in that day did not mean a few rocks thrown at you. It meant being taken outside the city, thrown over a cliff, and rocks rolled over you. Serious stuff. The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. You know, I know we have a bunch of you who are in ministry who attend our church, and I know this. You know Every once in a while, I'll have one of those weeks where I'll go, oh, I've got it so hard for Jesus, and I pastor a suburban church. Come on, get a grip, friend. Get a grip, because every once in a while, I'll go into this self-pitying, oh, I'm enduring so much for Jesus. And then I read this chapter. And if you have that, or you go, come on, man, suck it up suck it up. Why? Look at this. Look at this. There's just so very little that I have to endure for the sake of Christ. And he says, says, Timothy, look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Now, you follow that example. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus might be persecuted. Is that what it says? Are you sure you want to do this? Because to do it is to rub the cats further the wrong way. Evil doers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and become convinced of. Now look at this, look at this. A vibrant faith has this relational component to it. Sometimes I hang on because my apostle Paul has showed me how to do it. But there, everybody, everybody here who wants to have a life that honors Christ then has to also have a cognitive component to your faith. Where there is an element to your faith that is not existential and relational. That there's an element to your faith that has become convinced of, of a objective truth, a reality, that when I don't feel it, I stay with Christ. As a matter of fact, C.S. Lewis said one time, all faith is, is coming to the, the ascent of certain truths that continually hold you up when your emotions wanna bring you down. When they con- your emotions contradict your feeling, it contradicts this truth. This truth, i become so convinced of it, I'm sticking with this. So for example, this week, some of you probably had tears rolling down your cheeks when Abby was singing that song about it being alone because you had a week where you felt alone. And yet the words of scripture in your head, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, you go to the heights, I'm there. You go to the depths, I'm there. I'm, there's never a place where I'm not with you, okay? I feel alone, but I'm convinced that those words are true, and they transcend. And so remember, a pilot, when a pilot, when she is training to fly, and the instructor takes the plane and jostles her inner ear fluid so that she feels like she's banking 27 degrees to the right. That instrument panel says, no, you're actually banking nine degrees to the left, and you've got to trust that instrument panel. Everybody seeing this? That there is, there there comes a point when I've got my trainer, and he or she is ahead of me, but there comes a point in every journey where there have to be these uh, transcendent truths preserved for us, written down for us in Scripture that that then are our instrument panel and you know those from whom you have learned it and how from infancy there has been this integration of the relational and the cognitive that you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in christ jesus i love that because the very word wisdom is always preceding eternity preceding heaven anyway wisdom is always about how salvation is now affecting you right now, how you live. You show it by how you live. How many of you know, you have knowledge that a tomato is a fruit? Raise your hand. I know that. How many of you do also transcend the knowledge of that and you don't put a tomato on a fruit salad? Because if you're smart enough to know, that, that doesn't help a fruit salad to put that fruit on the salad, that's wisdom. That's knowing how to use that knowledge, correct? And he says, Timothy, you're not, you don't, you don't just know the scriptures now, you're growing in wisdom. And then he says this, and remember, all scripture, written plenary inspiration, is God-breathed. And this is fascinating because in the Septuagint, the Septuagint is the Old Testament in Greek translation. So the septuagint was the greek translation of the old testament which written predominantly in hebrew and aramaic the same word that is used for here for god breathe is the same word used in the septuagint for and god breathed into adam life that the amazing claim being made here is that the holy scriptures god breathed through the personalities of luke And Matthew and Paul and John and Peter, he breathed through their personalities and out came this integration of human personality with divine inspiration. That is the Holy Scriptures. And many of us in this room have bet our lives on that truth. And today I hope that for some of you who doubt it, that, that you'll be nudged to consider it and others of you that will walk out of here and every time you pick John Gospel over John Grisham, when it would be a lot easier to just read John Grisham tonight and you do that, you go, you know what? It's because God might have something to say to me through this tonight. Because this is God-breathed. It's really awesome. <laughs> it's really an amazing thing. That all Scripture has got to useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, teaching us what is right, rebuking us when we're not right, showing us how we can get right, and showing us how we can stay right. Anybody need any help in any one of those four areas? <laughs> how to be What's right, how to get right, how to stay right? Uh, we all do. And so that, that, that you may be thoroughly equipped to live out the wisdom of God, the, every good work, every good work. And I think it's fascinating that he ends with this, this this appeal to a cognitive reception and living out of these truths. Now, uh, a few weeks ago, a bunch of our family went to the OSU Rutgers football game. and, And a few of my family members aren't as passionate about football as I am. Just a few. And they're there for the family aspect of it and all that stuff, which is great secondary to the football thing, if you ask me, but it's great, you know, the whole family thing. And it reminded me of how one time I was at a game, this was years ago, and after the band comes out and they do their thing and the drum major and all that, there's kickoff, and then this gal pulls out a book to start reading during the game. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. And I just remember having this moment Heretic, you know what kind of heretic comes to an OSU game, takes up one of these valuable seats, and starts reading men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Are you kidding me? Mike Ricardotti hosts the afternoon show on '97, The Fan of Columbus. He said he had it happen one time. He had it happen one time at the game where he said a woman, after she there's a trend here. I know gender-wise, I'm going, right? But she just got pulled us, this lady, she's like my age now, she pulled out Cat Fancy Magazine <laughs> to read her. Now, I know some of you are like, oh, lost people, lost people. And and here's the thing. is, is was I remember when that happened, it didn't co- create a stir. But I always wonder: what if she'd have pulled out a copy of the Bible and started reading it? I think there are a lot more people are notice what happens in an office when somebody pulls out the bible what happens in a high school cafeteria when somebody is sitting there reading the bible that's different isn't it yeah that's different because all of all you can say about the collection of genesis to revelation it's unique can we all agree on that i mean i know i bear i know there's some of you here today that say yeah i think it's just the writings of man and And the reason we believe in it is because history goes to the winners and the church won the battle, so that's why we... But you got to admit, there's something unique. A a number of things on this issue. The Bible is unique in its composition. 1,600 years, 40 different authors, three different continents, and yet it has this continuity of the story of creation, crisis, covenant, community, Christ, consummation. It just has this amazing thread that runs through it all the time. It's basically repeating that story. The Bible is unique in its circulation. It It has billions of people who have bought it. Who have read it, and still to this day, millions of more are, are buying it. It's every year, it's the top of the bestseller. If you're an author and you hope you write a great book, you hope you're in the bestseller list for two or three weeks. The Bible every year is the, is the top seller. It's unique in that way, it's unique in its translations. It's been translated into over 1,500 languages, and right now, as I speak, there is a legion of, of language translators trying to translate it into more languages. You can actually buy a Hawaiian slang Bible translation. Do we live in a wonderful world or not? I kid you not. You can buy a translation of the Bible that is in, you know, go man. The Bible is unique in its durability. Every prince, king, queen in the history of the world it seems like has tried to stamp it out, burn it out, crush it out, and yet today, here you are, pretty reasonably intelligent suburbanites and you're here like you are nearly every week gathering to learn from this book. I mean, think about that. That's, that's pretty unique. The Bible is unique and it's effects on people. Uh, this, this right here, we'll come back to this, but but you're not the same when you allow its transcendent truths to get absorbed into your system. And uh, we could go around this room today. We would be here for hours hearing people say, but for God's words in my life at the right time, I would have gone down this path. I had one of those weeks this week. So many of you know my story. I grew up in a shame-based home. Doesn't mean my home was bad. Actually, it means it's pretty normal in America. Um, uh, Shame-based environment means I I grew up in an environment where you you could never be good enough. You could never be good enough. You could never be good enough. And so I have grown up, I was doing some writing this week for a thing I'm creating, and I went back to to third grade, Mrs. Bickle's class, and and everybody in the class, I still remember this moment of panic. It was some English thing, which I never paid attention to, not knowing that English would be the very thing that is the the, the agent of what I do for a living. I never knew that. I'd go back, I'd work really harder at English if I had to do it over again. And I remember sitting there, and everybody else in the class is getting it, but I'm not getting it. And I just, you know, I I had this moment this week where some things happened where I thought, you've never been good enough, you've never been good enough, you've never been good enough, you've never been good enough. And, and, you know, the word of God, when I have those weeks like you do, it comes in and says, you know what, but I'm good enough. I'm sufficient. Yeah, that's the point, is you're not enough. That's okay. (laughs) That's okay, because it's not about you. And I can't tell you where my life would be about this. And I don't think I'm any different. As a matter of fact, I speak from the word of God on the point that I'm no different. And if I struggle with this, you probably struggle with this. And you probably need this and so all the time we see this this reality that the bible just changes lives jesus said this is what the kingdom of god is like it's like seed planted in the ground and the tree grows first the stock then the head then the full color on the head as soon as the grain is ripe he takes the sickle to it because the harvest has come he says the word of god when it's planted in people's souls it just affects this change and you go wow and i've seen that now for almost 40 years i've seen it i've seen the word of god get into people's hearts, old, crusty, cement-covered hearts, that the Word of God gets in a crack in that cement. And oops, oops. That's why here at Southbrook, we believe in the book. Amen? We don't believe in Father, Son, and Holy Scripture as our authority. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit That the word of God, the scriptures, are really the delegation of our authority who is the transcendent creator and savior of our lives, Jesus Christ. But this is very important for you to understand. Don't let the lack of religiosity in this room fool you. Though we may lack all the traditional trappings of religion, our authority comes from the delegated written word of God. And this is so important. Because for example, as one of the leading places for weddings in, this, in Dayton, Ohio now, our team on the forefront of that gets opposition. Why don't you do gay weddings? Why don't you do gay weddings? You hate gay people. And I cannot tell you, I mean, I've looked for loopholes I'm I'm hoping to find somewhere Second Opinions 3, verse 17 says, you can marry six people if you want just to show that you love them. But I don't have that authority. It's not up to me to make that covenant. What God joins together and it's really clear that the first century church, the one of the reasons they changed the world is they had a radical sexual ethic. They believed in a culture of pluralism. And, and, and Hollywood in the 1920s, do whatever you want to do with whoever you want to do it. They believed one man, one woman in marriage. Do you think that was popular? No, it's because they knew they had an authority that transcended themselves. And it's not, it's not because we don't love people who are gay. We don't have the authority to marry outside what's been given us. And I know some of you will hear that and say, yeah, I know, that's hate speech. It's not. It's about something our culture doesn't understand. Everybody has to pick their authority. We choose the delegated authority of God through the written word in the New Testament particularly and so you may leave here today and you go man. Well, you know okay okay i get the bible thing but really who needs it i have netflix and i have TikTok, and i have twitter and i have the kardashians and stephen colbert and disney plus and tim cook and the marvel universe and i have all these things i have the ultimate meta narrative in my life i have the bachelor every tuesday evening at 10 you know the ultimate meta narrative i have that who needs the bible and i get that to be quite honest i get that because it's it, It's hard. It does work on you that requires work from you. And let me lay out why. Why the next time John Grisham is calling your name, which you can tell I love John Grisham, but because you haven't allowed the scriptures to come over you in a while, you choose them. Why? Why should you do that? There are a couple reasons I think I can lay a compelling argument based on fulfilled prophecy first of all when you look at because so many of the scriptures were written hundreds of year before years before there came the fulfillment of that scripture I think I can make a goose pimply statement for the inspiration of scripture as being God breathed on this basis alone literally of the major prophecies in scripture there's only one that hasn't happened yet only one and that's that it's stunning so for example you take the old testament goes it says here's the caricature of what you look for in the messiah it predicted he would be born in a stable born of a virgin virgin born in bethlehem born of the line of david that he would be raised in nazareth That he would be betrayed by his own people. That he'd be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. Yes, 30 pieces of silver. That he would be hung between two thieves. That he would die a brutal death. That he would be buried in a rich man's tomb, borrowed. That he would be risen from the dead. The the, the Old Testament creates this thumbprint of Messiah. Now, you know what the odds of one person fulfilling those prophecies are? One in 10 to the 157th power. That's one in ten, with 157 zeros behind it. It is the equivalent of if you took a three-inch stack of quarters and you laid that. Th- there's three-inch stacks all over the continental United States, from from Bangor, Maine, to. Baja, California, and you laid the whole continental United States, stacks of three-inch quarters covering it, and you marked one of those quarters and put it somewhere in that stack, the odds of you finding that quarter are the same as one person fulfilling just nine of the prophecies made about the Messiah in the Old Testament. You say, well, they were put in later to make it look like he was the person. Really? 1945, a little boy was looking for one of the lost sheep in the Dead Sea Caves. Qumran, and he found scrolls, and through carbon 14 method of dating, a lot of those prophecies were found in those caves 700 years before Jesus ever walked the earth. These prophecies were made. We know they weren't inserted in later. I mean, whoa. Whoa but you see it's unbelievable how many times this happens older testament there's this city of tyre and tyre is this vibrant city on the mediterranean coast but it's wicked and nasty and evil i mean their calling card was they impaled people okay i mean nasty stuff and god says repent or or i'm just going to start over and they don't and the prophet ezekiel comes and gives them that message god has given you a chance to repent and if you don't this city is gonna be laid waste and there will never be another city set on this site. There will be a never another city. Guess what happens? The city of Tyre is laid waste. And you can go to the Holy Land today and you can visit what was once Tyre, and there has never been another city on that site built. I mean, I when you start looking at fulfilled prophecy, you, you it's just, it's just one of those things that'll go, John Grisham, John's gospel. Eh. God might have say to me more to me through John's gospel than John Grisham. Why? Because this is breathed by God. Look at this, manuscript credibility. Many of you, for example, in philosophy class in college, you studied um, Platonian or Aristotelian literature. Brilliant, towering intellectual giants who have affected Western culture as much as just about anyone, but the Apostle Paul, enormous impact. Do you know that when it comes to copies of manuscripts of Aristotle and Plato, we have about 10, we have about 10 copies, and yet they're validated as authentic and accurate of representations of what Plato and Aristotle originally wrote. How many copies of the New Testament do you think we have that validates that what we're reading today, when we pick up our New Testament, we're reading an accurate representation of what Paul wrote in prison to Timothy, for example, in 2 Timothy 3. How many do you think? You think, oh, it'd be awesome if we had 50. That would be great. That'd be awesome if we had 10 to 1 ratio, 100 copies of manuscripts that were consistent and validated, that these are the words that Paul originally dictated to his assistant in prison to write down we have 14,000 copies of manuscripts that can be compared for accuracy. Many of what a lot of which go back as early as 130 AD. They're most likely copies of the originals. Because you see, what happened is the words of Jesus were passed down verbally. And then you get to about the 60s AD and they realize, hey, the followers of Jesus are passing away. We need to take these structures of parallelism, mnemonic devices that allow people to remember what he said and we need to put them on paper because people are dying and they did. And it's unbelievable the measure of duplication, respect and transmission given to make sure that what you and I are reading today is accurate. And one of the things about the New Testament, there are 184,590 words in the New Testament. I bet you didn't know that, did you? Aren't you glad you came to church today to hear something really valuable? And do you know there are only about 400 words, um, 0.0000% that are up for debate as far as translation from Greek to English, and none of those affect major doctrine, not a single one. When you look at your copy of the scriptures, you have an immense amount of confidence you can have that this is a reliable transmission of the author's original thought. Matter of fact, the process is called canonization. That's simply canon, a Greek word that means the ruler. Like think of a ruler. And so the, the, the early church fathers, they put these documents through a ruler, and they had three criteria. Does this document have roots connected to one of the apostles? If it didn't, it was tossed out. Was it written by an apostle or by a student like Luke or associate one of the apostles? To be included in the canon, number two, the contents of the book have to be consistent with the kind of teaching that Jesus did. So there are gospels of Thomas, for example, that were Gnostic gospels that were made up outside the circle of the apostles that had stories like Jesus um, turning clay into doves and then torturing little boys with stuff like that. Nah, that's not really consistent with the Jesus that we, that we see in the, the uh, four Gospels, for example. Third criteria in order for a book to be included in the canon, it had to have widespread influence in churches in Israel, Asia Minor, Rome, and continuous acceptance and use by the church at large. This is actually very critical because of this truth. William Barclay said it is a simple truth to say that the New Testament books became canonical because no one could stop them from doing so. They had that kind of power to them. In other words, whoa this is consistent with the other letters we're getting the other documents we're getting this is transformative that's a i just gave you a bible credibility 101 class in a few minutes it, it, it's all to say this there was never a time when the 27 books of the new testament that you hold were considered rel- un, not reliable by the church there was never a time and you can have confidence in knowing that these truths were transferred to us accurately. And today we have a representation of something that when you come to accept that it's God-breathed, whoa, that, that seed hits the fertile soil of a soul that's willing to listen. And something eternal begins to happen. The fact of the matter is the Bible is the most documented piece of literature in the history of humanity. Now here's why I say that. Because I know I'm gonna catch hell this week from people who are gay for saying we're anti-gay. And we're not. But I know where that's coming from. It's coming from, it hurts, doesn't it? It hurts. Some of the people I love most in this world are gay. And like I said, I wish I could just say, do what you want. I do. I know I'm not supposed to say that, but I do. Where you and I have to come to grips with the Bible, it's not in whether Jesus was actually coming into Jericho or coming out of Jericho when he healed the blind man because Luke says one thing and Mark says the other. Where you and I have to come to grips with the Bible in the 21st century in the year 2022 is in this truth. How painfully accurate it says about the human condition. How painfully accurate it is when it talks about you and me. That's the problem. And Scott McKnight put this well. He said, I've become convinced that the problem of believing the Bible is not based on what we don't understand about the Bible, but it's about what we do understand about the Bible. For example, sexual ethics are, when you get to the New Testament, post they're not fuzzy. They're not. That's painful. That's painful. Because you know what it says? It doesn't just say gay people are supposed to be sexually disciplined. You know what it says? Married people are supposed to be sexually disciplined. Single people are supposed to be sexually disciplined. It's not just one group. We're, that we're all to have self-control when it comes to s- our sexual ethic expression. And that's hard. Because you're sitting there today, and you're alone, and someone wants to go to bed with you, and you're a follower of Christ, and he, and his voice is calling out to you. Don't give up yourself up for that. Your feelings want to take you in another direction. This is where the Bible is a problem. This is where it gets really, really, really tense. It's easier to criticize the Bible and what it says than it is to allow it to evaluate you. And that's where the secret sauce is the first key to understanding the Bible is not reading it, but allowing it to read you. Some of you say, I, I struggle. I've tried to read the Bible and I, I struggle reading it. I'll give you a couple of reasons why that's the case here in a minute. But part of the secret code of cracking the Bible is don't read it so much to understand it first, but read it as a way to understand yourself. Allow it to read you and to diagnose you. Now, How do we do that? Well, there are a couple of things that, that we can start places we can start. One thing I would advise you to do, especially if you're new to this, is listen to a message we did last November 21st called, on, on a series we did called No Jesus and if there' had been no Jesus, there'd been no New Testament. And what we did there was we outlined here's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I want to elaborate on that a lot, but it's to say I think the message pretty clearly shows how you read the Old Testament differently than the New Testament. and that'll help you a lot and you'll understand why we give some of these recommendations today a lot. Grab a copy of Jesus Calling by Sarah Young. That's a, that's a, that's a one-page go-to every day. You can download an app that, that has her uh, teachings on it, and uh, I, I just love her writing because it's simple. It comes out of chronic pain, so it's, it's rooted, but it's not enough. It's, it's, it's just a, it's a little snack. It's like a breakfast on the way to the fact that you're gonna have to have more food later, I think, but that's one place to start. Uh, best thing you can do is, if, if you could only have one app on your phone, download the U Version app onto your phone, because it is it has it has scripture, all kinds of translations, Bible studies you can do. You can go there and you'll know what we're teaching at Pizza Paul and Mary this Tuesday because our it's an event calendar that's on there, and we're on that app Tuesdays CESO, and we're teaching Second Timothy three this 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 Tuesday. It's a great app because I know some of us don't carry anything but our phones with us now. And right there, it's on your phone. Use the Message Bible by Eugene Peterson. Here's why. The reason I recommend that is not because it's the most scholarly translation of the New Testament. It's not meant to be. It is a scholarly treatment of original languages intentionally put into current idiom. So in other words, that's just a fancy way of saying when you read the message translation it sounds to you like the original documents would have sounded to the original listeners that's what the purpose of it is it's because here the the original language of the new testament the greek language had two forms of its language it had classical greek which was very fancy and high and it's it's how people in england speak and stuff you know it just sound very formal And then there was what was called koine or slang Greek, street Greek. And it had idiom in it, common usages. Guess which one of those versions of the Greek language the New Testament was written in? Common Greek which takes away every argument from those of you who said, well, you know what? I'm not a Bible college graduate. I, yes, that's, that's for the preachers who, who need to know more about the Bible than any human being really needs to know." Uh, to know. I'm not that spiritual, and yet the Bible was written for you. It was written not in King James high language. It was written in common language. That's one of the values of the Message Bible, and that's why if you want scholarship, there are various parallel bibles you can get one that i use all the time is the new international version that is also then alongside the message bible you can literally look up second timothy 3 and it'll show it in the new international version and it'll show it in the message bible if you want to read for quantity Read your four or five chapters a day in the New Testament. You'll go through the New Testament about every two months. About every two months, you'll go through the New Testament, which is really not a bad thing to do at all. If you want to read for quality, read Romans and John's gospel as long as you need to. As long as you need to. If it's months, if it's years, just do that. Just do that. Because believe it or not, the first century church, they didn't have all 27 books. They existed on, man, we got this letter written to us here in Colossae or Ephesus, and we are, we are just soaking every morsel of nutrition we can out of that letter. And it's enough for you to say, you know what, I'm camping in Romans for two years. That doesn't mean you're a, like, a derelict Christian because you're doing that. No, it means probably you're reading for quality. Prioritize our gatherings of worship and teaching. That's one way you have built into your life. And then men's ministry, women's ministry, men on Wednesday, women on Thursday, pizza, Paul, and Mary on Tuesdays are ways that you can take, for example, this teaching today, and we're gonna apply it at a little different angle on it on Tuesday at CESO. Hebrews 4.12 says this, the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It pierces the human being, to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it penetrates the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. You know, it's a scalpel is what that's saying. And if you have a teachable heart and you say, Lord, I want to I know the truth about me that is a transcendent of how I feel, then the scriptures are for you. The scriptures are for you, but you got to want it. And you got to be able to do it over a long time, Period. But like many of us in this room, if you do that, you'll look back on your life and you'll say, I don't know where I'd be without that. I don't know where I'd be without that. So what I wanna do today is I wanna close and we have throughout the room the symbols of the living word of God, Jesus. And we have this prayer that is from the Anglican church about the written word of God, the scriptures. And what I want us to do is I want you to do this. I want you to say this out loud with me in just a minute and then I want you to, when you grab the symbols of the body and blood of Christ, go back to your seat and just, we're gonna leave that up on the screen and just pray that prayer. Pray that prayer. You'll be surprised of how if you just allow a little bit of scripture to come into your life every day, those days add up and it creates a hunger in you and a thirsting for more and you grow and you're a different person over the years. So Southbrook, would you close today by saying these words? Now, these words are... King James-type language. We decided to leave him in that so you get a feel for what the Anglican church tradition is. But we're going to say these out loud, a little awkward, and then we'll be done, and then you do your deal with Jesus and his word. Ready? You ready? Let's say this together. Blessed Lord, who has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them. Read Mark learn and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in thy son, our savior, Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. Amen. We'll see you next week, everybody, for part four.